Welcome to Essential Wisdom, Inspiring Future Female Physicians, a podcast for engaging and informing the next generation of women in medicine. My name is Carrie DeBell. I'm a fourth-year medical student at the Frank H. Netter MD School of Medicine at Quinnipiac University. Essential Wisdom is a podcast for discussing the joys and the challenges of being a woman in medicine through the sharing of stories and advice by women who mentor us. Take a seat with me at the desks of the mentors. Come along to walk the halls of the hospitals to experience residency and life as a physician personally, as we get to know these phenomenal physicians and scientists. Help me welcome Dr. Rashma Jenja. Dr. Jenja practices as an outpatient internal medicine physician in Bloomfield and Wethersfield, Connecticut. She earned her medical degree at the University of West Indies, St. Augustine Campus, Trinidad, and completed her residency in internal medicine at St. Vincent's Medical Center, Bridgeport, Connecticut. Dr. Junja and I came to know one another through the Quinnipiac University Medical Student Home Program, which provides a primary care experience during the first and second years of medical school. She's interested in integrated and holistic medicine and plays piano in her free time. Welcome, Dr. Junja. Thank you. So as we normally get started, we'll just kind of begin from the top. The one thing that we always ask um, all of our guests on the show is to tell us about your path to becoming a female physician. So my path was sort of interesting. Um, Led me all around the world and back home to the States. Um, So I went to um, high school in Connecticut. And then after that, I did my pre-med at Boston University. Um, During that time, I had plans to pursue a master's in medical sciences immediately after my pre-med days. Um, My folks are from India, um, and my mom had found out about a program there for um, non-resident Indians called NRIs. So she had come back sometime in the beginning of my senior year and told me about this program. I was a bit reluctant, of course, to go just, uh, even though, you know, culturally I grew up here in the States um, since I was about three, so I had a little hesitation, and I had already planned out my path. Um, however, both my parents, when we talked, um, they in their minds, they were looking at it like I was, quote, wasting some time <laughs> doing a master's program um, because they knew that I had wanted to be a physician from a very young age. Mm-hmm. So they thought that why not get this done as soon as possible? So I sort of took the chance, and that wound me up in India and then the West Indies, and then I came back to um local uh, to a local hospital near where my folks lived so it was sort of circuitous but I'm looking back I'm really uh, privileged to have witnessed medicine in many different countries many styles and I'm really grateful for that experience so you mentioned that you um, had always wanted to be a doctor from when you were very young yes was that continued through every stage of your education as well absolutely and the thing that kind of is scary when I look back as an adult is that I never had a plan B so I, I never <laughs> actually had that choice of what if I didn't get into med school or what if I didn't uh, you know wasn't able to pursue my dreams I just never had another option in my mind so I just knew for me I think it was really a calling like I knew from a very young age like you know what do you want to be when you grow up and my answer was always doctor that's awesome um did you have doctors in your family so my mom's a nurse um other than that no no other physicians in our family yeah in terms of your path to choosing then internal medicine integrative integrative medicine holistic healing I think um can be very intuitive um to me it just made sense as the only way really to practice medicine so even though 
you know, I do that my primary work is as an internist. I do sort of look at uh, the preventative aspects and well-being and things like supplements and and uh, natural remedies as well. So to those of my patients who are open to these type of things, I do discuss that with them because I think that's a that's a real integral part of health and, and well-being. And it also gives the patient a sense of power that they know that there are things they can do to, to help their health as well that doesn't always necessarily come from a prescription or <laughs> surgical treatment or something. So um, I kind of always lean toward that. And then when one of my colleagues started... Um, introducing that concept to our group um, she set up an integrated wellness center and I was very happy to be part of that after getting certified in that did you consider other specialties so honestly I had no clue coming (laughs) out of uh, my residency I did know that I greatly enjoyed the clinic time that we had and I also loved the hospital so um, my first job was a hospitalist before I went into outpatient internal medicine and it was very exciting and, and very fast-paced, which I enjoyed the challenge of. I enjoyed interacting with all different specialists and patients in, in the acute care setting. Um, but we were also like a very new group of hospitalists. So we were uh, the primary ones to establish this hospitalist program at a very large center. Mm-hmm. So early on, um, it was it was very hard work, like anything, building up anything from scratch. And uh, it was a lot of hard work, great experiences. But I think my transition into outpatient setting came because I realized that I was really missing that work-life balance, mm-hmm. that even though I was working one week on, one week off, the weeks off, I was just catching up on sleep and basic things that yeah. I absolutely couldn't get done the weeks on, and I realized I was missing a lot of things in my personal life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Can you talk a little bit about work-life balance for you and what that looks like? Absolutely. So... That was part of my motivation to switch into outpatient medicine where I had a little bit more control of my schedule and I had weekends and I had nights and and here you can kind of tailor, you know, how hard you want to work, at what pace you want to work, etc. I do have a large practice, that being <laughs> <Yeah>. said, so <laughs> that sort of just uh, happened, but I enjoy it, but it's I think it's really important to, to recognize the boundaries between uh, work and personal life. Mm. So that was one of my lessons, I think, going from hospitalist medicine into um, outpatient is that if we don't create that and we don't have that self-care piece, it's very difficult to then care for everyone else. That kind of takes me to something that I usually ask at the end of the interview, Mm -hmm. but I think it seems like a good time. So then um, in doing work-life balance, uh, part of that is setting priorities for how you make the work-life balance. So one of the things I like to ask is how do you set your priorities and and how do you think that falls in your path? Absolutely. So in the office, for example, the priorities are the patient care. So mm-hmm. we are inundated with lots of things like, uh, you know, um, lab tests that come in, reviews, reading consult notes, etc., um, staff interactions, all the other support part of taking care of a patient. But first and foremost, I think what happens in that room for me mm-hmm. is the most important thing. Um, after that, you know, I try to obviously um, address delegated tasks, etc. I think the other piece of from where I come from in an outpatient setting is also the interactions with the staff and just utilizing the roles of the people that work with you. I think that's very important to make your life easier too because that's part of that is part of the work life balance. That's the balance in work. Mm. So um, to know everyone's strengths and weaknesses whom you work with and utilize them appropriately, mm. I think that that has a big uh, it's a big factor. Mm. How sure. does being a female play into that? So that's a very interesting question. So. <laughs> As far as we've come in this day and age, you know, unfortunately, there are still, it is still 
I think, a male-dominated profession. Um, it's changing. So currently, you know, there are almost as many, if not, women and, and men in the medical schools and in this field. Mm-hmm. But joining the group that I'm in also, it, um, you know, there's obviously a whole variety of generations of physicians, and it's interesting. I took over my outpatient practice from a male physician who had been in practice um, for several years and probably seen patients in their teens, since they were in their teens. So some of those patients, when I first took over, is particularly male patients would ask me, um, they'd say, so I've never had a female doctor before. So my answer to them would be, well, we do exactly what male doctors do, but better. How did they take that? They laughed. Most of them <laughs> laughed, and uh, it was interesting because it made them think about it in a different way. Yeah. So, yeah, but I think that's it. I mean, there's still things like uh, there's disparity in in payrolls and et cetera. I mean, these are you know facts, unfortunately, that still occur this day and age. I think it's we're getting to the point where we're going to be true equals to men yeah. in the workplace in medicine. Um, but and I think you know with my generation and younger, I think we're starting to kind of see a more of a level playing field. Mm. But it's been you know at least the time when I was a resident and training too. Um, it depends. People. It's interesting to see the perceptions of how people view a male physician versus a female physician. Specifically, patients or also colleagues and staff. Yeah, I think. Um, I think both. Yeah. I think both actually. So then in terms of your path to becoming the doctor you are today, mm-hmm. one of the things that I think is important is mentorship and is also why we're doing this podcast. So I would be curious if you had any female mentors in your process. I absolutely did. Actually, one of my um, most memorable ones was a senior resident when I was an intern in, in uh, internal medicine in my residency program. And one of the things she taught me, which is still so crucial for today is delivering bad news Mm -hmm. and having the code talks with families. So I did my ICU um, internship with her and she was just amazing. The way she confidently handled like very Mm -hmm. high emotion situations and such when, um, you know, we had to talk about palliative care and comfort care. And it, it used to amaze me at the time because I was just this little intern who was like a fly on the wall listening to her speak with uh, patients and families about really crucial decisions. And I, I always wondered, I'm like, how can she do that so confidently? And we're talking about somebody's life here. But I think it really, the more you do it, the more it becomes sort of, you find the wording, um, you know, and like anything, it takes practice. But she really made a big impact on me um, mm-hmm. the way, and she was very logical. I just loved her approach to things, and um, she was a great teacher. Mm-hmm. So I had some really great mentors. She was one that stood out in my mind. Yeah, she served as somebody that you wanted to emulate. Absolutely. Like. Yeah. I think one of the things that I was reading and preparing for these conversations was um, that there may not be a lack of mentors out there for us necessarily, but that there is a lack of people, women, existed in the field now that um, we have to look up to mm-hmm. um, just by sheer numbers of you know how doctors have changed over time. Um, sure. So yeah, certainly having somebody to emulate is very important. Mm-hmm. Um, I know I've been very fortunate with that. And um, yeah, I think that's like a, a very important point. You were talking about the uh, process of delivering bad news and going through that. Uh, it kind of leads me into this idea um, of the challenges of being a female, but then also maybe the joys of being a female. And I wonder what your thoughts are on um, if being a woman makes doing that kind of an activity any more natural or not or anything like that. Yeah, you know, it was really interesting. And I do, um, one thing comes to mind when you ask me that about 
the fact that I think women in general, we can multitask in some ways, maybe better than men, not everybody, but uh, (laughs) just that's my personal opinion. And I think when you're in a room with a patient or in a clinical setting with a patient, you're not just taking care of their physical selves, you're taking care of their emotional well-being, their psychological well-being. So I think that's something that um, is very important in sort of treating people um, as a whole being. So people come in, they want to talk. I mean, there's certainly lots of things that play into somebody's physical well-being and, and the other aspects are as important um, as the physical piece of it. So sometimes we're listeners, sometimes we're you know acute diagnosticians, sometimes we're counselors. Um, so I think this is I think this is something where women can sort of utilize that um, ability to look at many aspects of mm. healthcare. I like that. That's something I hadn't heard before. I like that. <laughs> Um, what is probably like the greatest joy that you have in being a doctor? The greatest joy is being, um, told that you made a difference. Mm. And I always say that if I could make a difference, even in one patient in, in my day or in my week, that would make it all worth it because it's very easy to get caught up in the humdrum and you go in and your schedule's like X, you know, AM to PM and you're seeing patients and you're making callbacks and you're getting tasks. I had a patient, interestingly, um, very old, an older woman, probably in her 80s, and she hadn't seen a physician maybe 20 years. And she came into me, and I met her for the first time, and it was a very interesting uh, um, physical, a new patient exam. She really wasn't interested in any of her screenings. Uh, she said, "Why? Well, I feel fine. I'm doing well. Um, I got this far. I said, sure, you did. I said, you might want to consider some of these things. So she sort of went home. I didn't want to overwhelm her with too many things. Um, And then I saw her again, like about two weeks later in the office, and she came in for shortness of breath. So I listened to her, and her heartbeat sounded a little irregular. So we did an EKG, and she was in rapid AFib, and her blood pressure was a little bit lower. Then she was running, um, and she she was dyspneic on exam. So I I explained to her that I really thought she should go into the hospital, that she'd probably need some IV medications, etc., she was very, very reluctant. She said, nah, I'll be okay. Just give me a pill. I'll be fine. So anyhow, you know, a little bit of pushing, she allowed me to call 911 and sent her into the hospital. So about a week later, um, actually they had stabilized her, of course, and she went home. And a week later, I come into the office and there's a little card on my desk. And it was just a very simple sentence in the card. It said, dear Dr. Jenja, thanks for saving my life. And she signed uh. her name. And that was it. <laughs> So it was in that moment I realized that, you know, with all my like breaking my head against the wall, trying to convince her about everything, that just this, that I think something finally dawned on her that, you know what, maybe medical care is a little important here. That's amazing. Yeah, that was a great moment. (laughs) So it's things like that. Yeah. It's things like that, that, that really uh, make it worth it. So straightforward. Yeah. Thanks for saving my life. (laughs) Yeah. That's awesome. So on the flip side of that, one of the biggest challenges that you say you face So one of the biggest challenges, I think, um, it is sort of, I think the work-life balance is a big thing to focus on because even as med students or pre-med, you know, med school and pre-med, everything, it can be so all-consuming, exam after exam, test after test, and, you know, you're goal-driven and you want to get into whatever your specialty is and et cetera. So I think the most important thing is to realize that not only in med school and college and even afterward, it's very important to try to maintain that personal piece of your life too, because mm-hmm. we need to recharge. We need to recharge. It can be, even as a practicing physician, it becomes overwhelming, um, sometimes under your control and sometimes not. So 
I think that's very important to keep the barrier between work and and your personal. Yeah. How would you say that you do that? So one of the things, and maybe this comes down, you know, to the previous question with priorities too. I like to finish all of my tasks for that given day that day mm. because it's for me the time that I'm out of of work I don't want to be thinking about it I don't want to feel like there's something pending or that I might miss something because I didn't review this lab that day so it is difficult I do have a large practice so it's not you know I do have probably at least an hour hour and a half of non-patient to like direct face-to-face contact type of hours per day but once I leave Um, it's like I don't have the weight of that sitting on my shoulders. So then when I go home, I can truly do the things that I want to do and not worry. And I think part of it may be just I have the, you know, the ability to do that now. I'm saying I don't have, like, kids and et cetera. But, you know, I I try – I would think that in the future I'd like to try to maintain that just so I have that sort of – whether it be a time, you know, or just a a stop point and then to proceed with the rest of your life. That's awesome. Yeah. Not taking work home is hard to do. It is difficult. I'm not going to say it. It does come with its challenges. But I think it's, um, or at least drawing a barrier in your day, you know, may not be, I mean, the prioritizing pieces, obviously you want to deal with the emergencies first. And then if things can wait, but if you do, you have to let go. You have to let that go and not um, let it run through your head the rest of the time. Otherwise there is no balance then. Then you're not really shutting off. Yeah. Would you say that for you... um Doing that progressed throughout medical school? Was that a skill you had to learn? I think that's part of my OCD nature. (laughs) So I think we all are OCD to some degree in this field. Um, Yeah, but it's, it's, it's difficult. But that's where you have to also recognize your own strengths and weaknesses and know, you know, I know that if I left things pending, my brain would not let me rest. So this way, um, I sort of get that I'm able to truly like, turn off and have a little bit of protected time for myself. If you had any resource available to you during the day to make the work-life balance easier, what resource would you want? I think part of it is, and again, I'm sorry if I'm repeating, but part of it is also recognizing your own strengths and weaknesses and and recognizing that of those around you. So, you know, medicine in many, no matter where you practice, whether it's in a hospital or outpatient setting, um, it's teamwork, Mm -hmm. right? So if you know that certain people in your office are good at certain things, then give that to them. Like delegation is very important. Um, And this may be a little bit more on the business side of medicine, but I think even in your own life, like your medical assistant, your if you have a nurse navigator. In my personal day, I mean, we've started using mid-levels in our um, practice and it's made a huge difference. But I think the one resource, like if you're asking me today, I think a nurse navigator or a social worker would be very helpful because mm-hmm. there's a lot of non-physician work, I believe, that still a lot of physicians do. Mm-hmm. Um, so you want to maximize your, your physician-required um, hours with things that you should be doing. We should be doctoring, um, you know, and we should have, like, different staff to help with some of the maybe non-physical things that we mm-hmm. do because a lot of paperwork, a lot of sort of... Um, things that we have to do at the end of our day, the non-face-to-face, can maybe be done, I think, by other members of a healthcare team. So that's mm-hmm. really important to sort of um, utilize, you know, staff and, and that team kind of approach, I think, to make life easier, both at work and at home. 
Do you think that's happening in outpatient settings? I think it's it's coming around, definitely. Um, you know, a couple generations ago, people didn't have a lot of faith in mid-level practitioners and, and nurses, yeah. you know, APRNs, et cetera, and, and PAs. Um, and I think specialty by specialty, I think a lot of surgical subspecialties have utilized them first. And internal medicine was a little bit slow to catch on, but... Now, I think a lot of offices are, are utilizing them and, and they're part, they're valuable part of the healthcare team. So, mm. you know, it really does sort of um, uh, make things easier. When you were faced with a pivotal challenge or a point in time that you had to change your path possibly, um, how did you deal with them? Yeah, so I think um, going back to, I think the decision actually to leave the hospital was a big thing for me, Um, mainly because I was comfortable. I was very comfortable in where I was. I knew the staff. I knew the routine. Um, Despite the fact that it was really invading my personal life, that was a big, big challenge for me to Mm -hmm. leave a place of comfort and step into an area where I'd been away from for some time, like, you know, since actually residency, since we did clinic. So that was a, a big step But I think the one thing that I just remind myself of is, you know, we have to overcome our fears in order to progress. Mm. And hey, if I didn't like it, then there's always another route, right? So nothing's really permanent. doesn't matter how young or old you are. You're you're in control. You can make those changes. Um, So yeah, that was, you know, I spent almost a year though uh, from the time that I initially was thinking about doing outpatient medicine and I I was kind of waiting to see how things evolved with our hospitalist program and you know there were some other factors there but I think in the end it was a good decision because the the longevity the the longitudes nature in which we care for patients outpatient setting um, the bonds you form with people at the end of the day it's about the human connection for me and I I enjoy that I enjoy taking care of, of patients and their parents and their grandparents I mean I have a you know a handful of patients who span like a couple generations and it's really really a cool experience to be part of that wow is that one of your favorite things about being in internal medicine absolutely the connection the human connection and, and over time you're seeing people when they're well in the hospital you know emotions are high there's lots of acute settings so people don't behave necessarily the way they would <laughs> yeah. in a normal um, setting and plus you know the emphasis on preventative care I found even as a hospitalist I was always questioning like why is this person back for the third time again back with another COPD exacerbation back with another you know non-STEMI I realized there was something that was missing on the outside of it mm. so um, I was my brain was always looking for okay how do we prevent this from happening mm-hmm. again so yeah. I think that kind of you know that's what led me into more of an outpatient arena I feel like I, yeah. I can make more of a difference this way yeah oh, that's beautiful um, the process of overcoming the fear to, to do something new this is like a theme actually that's come mm-hmm. up um, for me personally and, and other talks I've had with mentors um, and they've said like Every single day, you should be doing something that you're really uncomfortable with. Correct. In order to grow. Yeah, I think that's absolutely valuable. So this also applies to personal life. Mm-hmm. You know, if there's something, if you wanted to learn an instrument, if you wanted to um, go hang gliding or skydiving <laughs> or something, I mean, it doesn't have to be all high-risk behaviors, but I think it's a good idea mentally because we are our own worst enemies. When it comes to progress, when it comes to change, I think we slow our own selves down because of that fear. So once we're able to conquer that fear, you can literally, you can do anything. You can do anything that you want to do. Advice for pre-med students? Have fun. (laughs) Have fun. Because it is a serious enough business. Um, You know, you're inundated, you're faced every day with pressures from yourself, your family, your competition in school and all of that. I think the most important thing is have fun. Find some fun in it. 
and, and spend time doing those things, whether it's within class or work, but even in your personal life, enjoy the ride. I feel like that relates to the work-life balance too, because Absolutely. once you define that behavior of having fun, then you know how to carry that through the process when it gets hard. Yeah. It's important to enjoy yourself, whatever it is you do. I mean, there's, there's not, and, and if something doesn't work out initially, then try something different. Mm. And then what about for um, students, women who are um, in medical school or trying to define their career choice? Mm. <laughs> well, that comes along to the same thing. So it's, it's interesting. You know, like I, like I said, I didn't even know what I wanted to do when I first came out of residency. I just kind of did the hospitals thing because I knew I worked in a hospital. We did our residency in a hospital. So it just seemed the natural thing. Um, I think the most important thing is to find a couple of areas. I liked infectious disease, for example. I at one point considered doing ID, but then I said to myself, I can do this in, in internal medicine and just be good at it. So to be honest, it's probably not, that's one of the consults I probably rarely call <laughs> because I feel confident in, in doing that. Um, I think it's important to sort of identify what you like and if it, if it fits your idea of and will help you maintain that work-life balance. I think that's important mm. to, to go for it. I had wanted to do OBGYN at one point or even surgery. I think surgery was my first passion in medical school. But when I looked at it and being a woman and I knew that I'd want a family someday and, and just looking at sort of the, the scheduling and such, I said, you know, that's probably not going to fit into what I want mm -hmm. eventually. So I didn't really pursue that. Do I have regrets? Now, no. I don't because I think I've found what I wanted to do. Yeah. For your process um, of reflecting and of doing those things, was there like a habit that you had that helped you process all of those thoughts? Or No, I think a lot of times, I mean, I think, again, as women, we always have things running on, I call it in the in the the back screen of our behind stage, you know, yeah. so we, we do, um, you go through your day, you go through your schooling, you go through your, um, your personal life, et cetera. But I think there's always stuff going on um, behind behind the screen. So uh, I think, you know, it's important to, to also have time for that. So reflective time is, is very important as you're going through all these experiences and trying to, to figure out what, what direction you want to go in. Yeah. But again, it comes back to that fear thing. You know, don't be afraid to, mm -hmm. to try something. And if, if it's not working out for you, then there are other options. Mm -hmm. I love that. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you for that piece of wisdom. Thank you so much, Dr. Jenja, for joining us on Essential Wisdom, Inspiring Future Female Physicians for this second episode. It was an absolute delight to have this conversation with you, and I know that your wisdom, your advice, your mentorship will be well-loved and appreciated by all the women out there who are planning their career. Thank you, listeners, for tuning in for this second episode. I can't believe it. We made it to the end of our first week. And we're almost ready for our next week. I'm, I'm just about there. We have our plans. We have two surgeons coming to talk. I loved recording these episodes and I'm going to love sharing them with you. So I hope you have a great time listening to them. We're going to be joined by a breast surgeon and we're going to be joined by a congenital cardiac surgeon next week. If you're interested in that, you want to tune in, you want to hear a little bit more, I have a couple things for you. You can check us out on Apple Podcasts. Go give us a rating, five stars. That's what I'm talking about. Otherwise, you can just check us out on Spotify Podcasts or online at essentialwisdom.buzzsprout.com. 
If you want to learn a little bit of more information about these lovely female physicians, please check out my website, essentialwisdominspiringphysicians.com. If you go to the website, you can um, navigate through information about the podcast, which will give you the schedule for the rest of the season, as well as some background information about each of these lovely physicians um, with a little quote. And there's also a comments box. So please go to my contact page, leave me a comment, drop a question. If you have feedback, if you have things that you want to hear, please leave them. This podcast is about you. This podcast is about building up our young women and informing one another so that we continue to rise and advance as women in science and medicine. Have a great week. Happy Thursday. Happy almost Friday, everybody.